Meanwhile, inside Lorient, the French discovered they outnumbered the British invasion force by seven to one. The two opposing forces exchanged a few rounds of cannon fire, and the military geniuses on either side then retired to ponder the situation over dinner. The British High Command soon came to the conclusion that their legless troops were better off on board ship, and marched them back under cover of darkness. Meanwhile, the French commander, for reasons that only an expert military mind could possibly fathom, had decided to surrender. When the large French force arrived to surrender next morning, they discovered a few disconsolate British artillerymen, whom everyone seemed to have forgotten about, sheltering from the rain beside their dripping guns. The French now found themselves with a superiority of nearly five thousand to one. Wisely realising that the sheer logistics of having to accept the surrender of so many men was obviously beyond these few ridiculous Britishers, the French changed their tactics and took the Britishers prisoner. Meanwhile, the British fleet and its philosopher-in-residence got lost in a storm, and after various adventures they all sailed home to collect their medals. As a result of this glorious campaign, General St. Clair was rewarded with the leadership of an important diplomatic mission to Vienna and Turin. He set off, accompanied by his secretary and staff of diplomatic advisers. Hume reacted variously to his travels through Europe. Germany is full of industrious, honest people, and were it united, it would be the greatest power that ever was in the world, he noted perceptively. The common people are here, almost everywhere, much better treated and more at their ease than in France, and not very much inferior to the English, notwithstanding all the airs the latter give themselves. But Hume wasn't quite so impressed by the Austrians in Styria. As much as the country is agreeable in its wildness, as much are the inhabitants savage and deformed and monstrous in their appearance. Very many of them have ugly, swelled throats. Idiots and deaf people swarm in every village, and the general aspect of the people is the most shocking I ever saw. One would think that, as this was the great road— through which all the barbarous nations made their eruptions into the Roman Empire, they always left here the refuse of their armies before they entered into the enemy's country. Hume's reaction was not just an attack of spleen occasioned by the tiresome and enervating rigours of stagecoach travel through the Alps. His observations were no exaggeration, even if his diagnosis was wide of the mark. It's now known that this region suffered from an iodine deficiency in the diet, resulting in widespread goiter and lunacy. But the locals weren't the only ones to suffer from mental derangement. When the mission reached Turin, Hume fell ill. A fellow member of the mission recorded, He was affected by a most violent fever, attended with its natural symptoms, delirium and ravings. In the paroxysms of his disorder, he often talked, with much seeming perturbation, of the devil, of hell, and of damnation, and one night, while his nurse tender happened to be asleep, he rose from his bed and made towards a deep well, which was in the courtyard, with a design, as was supposed, to drown himself. But finding the back door locked, he rushed into a room where, upon a couch, the gentlemen of the family were, he well knew, used to deposit their swords— 
and here he was found by the servants who had been awakened by the noise he had made at the door in endeavouring to open it, and was by them forcibly brought back to his bed. Hume appears to have quickly recovered, and this whimsical adventure became a source of merriment amongst the company. Hume took a more sober view of it, remonstrating, Do you suppose philosophy to be proof against madness? The organisation of my brain was impaired, and I was as mad as any man in Bedlam. Hume appears to have been fully aware of and feared his largely latent mental disorder, and we can only speculate about its possible effect on his intellectual activities, though it's intriguing that such a thoroughgoing atheist should reveal manic fears of the devil, hell and damnation. Likewise, one can only wonder how many other similar episodes occurred that were not recorded. Many important questions here will probably never be answered.